fruit tree to the Lord's house year by year. We will also bring the firstborn of our sons and our livestock as prescribed by the law and will bring the firstborn of our herds and flocks to the house of our God, to the priest who serve in our God's house. We will bring a loaf from our first batch of dough as the priest to the priest of the storerooms of the house of our God. We will also bring the first fruits of our grain offering of every fruit tree and of the new wine and fresh oil. A tenth of our land's produce belongs to the Levites, for the Levites are to collect one-tenth offering in all our agricultural towns. A priest from Aaron's descendants is to accompany the Levites when they collect the tenth, of, and the Levites are to take a tenth of this offering to the storerooms of the treasury of the house of our God. For the Israelites and the Levites are to bring the contributions of grain, new wine, and fresh oil to the storerooms where the articles of the sanctuary are kept and where the priest who minister are. Along with the gatekeepers and singers, we will not neglect the house of our God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, settle hearts and minds right now. Help us. As we examine your word, we thank you for your word. We confess it is true again, and we ask that you, Holy Spirit, would work in our hearts and minds so that we will understand and that we will respond as you are calling us to God. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So God has been at work in the community of believers. And that's true for us as a church. God uh, has been at work in us to create in us uh, what he desires. Right? He has called us. Uh, he sent his son for us. Jesus died for us to bring us into this community. The Holy Spirit has given us the gift of faith. He's brought us into the family of God, the church. And in addition to that, the Spirit has been gifting us and working in us to shape us as, a, as an individual and as a church into the people that God desires us to be. Shaping us into the image of the Son. God is at work in rebuilding the community. And he always has been and he always will be. And as we see in our text today, that calls for us to take the responsibility that lands on us. We should respond to the grace that God has given us with a commitment to God, with a commitment to faithfulness to the Lord. Yes, that is individually each one of us should commit to faithfulness to God, but it's also communally, it's corporately. The church should commit to faithfulness to God. We should be committed to God. And so as we work our way through Nehemiah 10 today, we're going to see four different ways that uh, the community should be committed to God. The first is this, a community committed to God unites together in obedience. A community committed to God unites together in obedience. And so the people of God here in Nehemiah are 
going to, as they've been reminded, God's always been faithful and you keep falling short, you keep disobeying, you keep walking away from him, they're going to feel the need. It's time to commit again to the Lord. And they do that as a whole. The whole community commits to this. Nehemiah 9, verse 38. In view of all this, so it's pointing back to the rest of chapter 9. All the ways that God has been faithful to the people of God. In view of all of this, we are making a binding agreement in writing on a sealed document containing the names of our leaders, Levites, and priests. And I'm not going to reread through all the names. We have the list of the political leaders, we have the list of religious leaders, we have the list of the heads of household that are, that are described here, that are listed here. Their names were representative of the people as a whole. Because of the, the community that they lived in, the representatives of the people truly were representatives of the people. So if one of the people's representatives are listed there, political representative, religious representative, family representative, you were included in that. And we see that with Nehemiah 10, verse 28 and 29, the rest of the people. So it's not just that list of names, the rest of the people, the priests, Levites, gatekeepers, singers and temple servants, along with their wives, sons and daughters, everyone who is able to understand So young and old, everyone who is able to understand and who has separated themselves from the surrounding peoples to obey the law of God, join with their noble brothers and commit themselves with a sworn oath to follow the law of God given through God's servant Moses and to obey carefully all the commands, ordinances and statutes of the Lord, our Lord. So all the people are committing again, recommitting again to the Lord, faithfulness to God. In some of your, uh, we don't use the language as, as much today. Uh, there are some churches that still do, but you, you may have grown up in a church where you heard the language of rededication. Right. If you've heard that term and a lot of times you would hear that in Baptist churches, uh, I'm going to rededicate myself to Jesus. Uh, a recognition that I, I need to get back to where things used to be. I want to I want to be faithful to God again here in Nehemiah. The people of God, the Israelites were recommitting themselves to faithfulness to the Lord. They were recommitting themselves of saying, hey, we together as a people are going to unite together in obedience. A community committed to God unites together in obedience. They're saying, we will live the way that God has called us to live. We're going to obey Him The whole community is saying we are committed to this together because when one of us sins, it affects the whole community. And so the church, too, should have that kind of level of commitment and that way of thinking 
of our commitment to God. One of the downfalls of some of the ways that we live our society so isolated from one another is it affects how we think of one another in the church. We don't recognize that we are in this together and we need to be united together in this. And that includes united in obedience. We, as a people, are going to obey the Lord. We're going to follow Him in what it is that He has called us to. That's one way that church membership is really important. That's one way that church membership is really valuable because it's a, it's a way to say, hey, we're together with this local body of believers. We're going to unite together with them and agree to follow the Lord in obedience. We should come together as a community of believers in order to encourage that obedience. Hebrews reminds us of this, the importance of this. Hebrews 10, verse 24 and verse 25, we read this. And let us watch out for one another to provoke, I'm sorry, to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching, provoking love from one another, provoking good works from one another. The author of Hebrews is saying, don't neglect gathering together with the body of the saints. Don't neglect gathering together for worship for the purposes of encouraging one, encouraging in the hope that we have because of the finished work of Jesus, but also encouraging in the work that the Lord has for us. Encouraging in the, uh, in the, the commands that the Lord has for us. So, church, we are in this together. No lone ranger Christians here. God has brought us into a community and at Dogwood Church, let's be a community of believers that is united in obedience. Obedience to the Lord. Obedience to the gospel mission that he has given to the church. And let's encourage one another in that. Let's walk alongside of one another with that purpose of an encouragement towards each other to follow the Lord faithfully. Living out in obedience to the one another commands... In the New Testament, Tim has shared with us uh, on a couple different occasions the importance of the, all those one another commands in the New Testament. Loving one another, bearing one another's burdens, and so many more. Let's live those out faithfully. Let's be obedient to those faithfully. And let the Holy Spirit work in us to unite us on His mission. On the gospel mission that, the God, is, that God has given the church. The second thing from this text is this, a community committed to God guards against idolatry. A community committed to God guards against idolatry. Now the verse is going to talk about marriage back in Nehemiah 10, but there's a specific reason for that. Nehemiah 10 
and verse 30. This is where we get to the list of. Now, they've committed to following all of the laws. That's what verse 28 and 29 says. We're going to faithfully follow the commands of the Lord. All of them. Here, they're going to make specific vows about some different things. And one of those things is going to be about marriage. We will not, this is verse 30, give our daughters in marriage to the surrounding peoples and will not take their daughters as wives for our sons. Well, what does that have to do with idolatry? Well, everything. When we look back at the Old Testament commands for that, the intermarriage laws of of don't marry people from these other lands had nothing to do with race. And some of you may have heard that at some point in time. There are people who have completely distorted theologies and said, oh, this is talking about racial intermarriage. That is false. That is not what God's word is commanding here. What God's word says about those intermarriage laws is if you marry you let your children marry someone from one of these other lands, their children are going to end up worshiping other gods because all of these nations had other gods that they worshiped. They practiced false, idolatrous worship and God instructed his people, This is going to end in idolatry for your son or daughter and then your grandchildren and great-grandchildren. So don't marry into a nation that is going to lead your people into idolatry. Here, they're saying we're committed to that. We're going to guard our people, our next generation, and the generations after that. We are going to guard against idolatry coming in. There are New Testament uh, teachings that point to the same thing, that point to it is important for people to marry, for Christians to marry other believers. And they shouldn't marry, if they're preparing for marriage, they shouldn't marry non-believers for that purpose. It will lead to people walking away. So one way, yes, that we can pursue this in our churches if you have children in the home encourage them in this marry a believer so that it doesn't take you away from the faith teenagers as you are dating and considering uh marriage sometime down the road the word of god does instruct you to marry a believer it's a way to guard against idolatry however Dogwood, I don't want us to get bogged down just on the concept of marriage here. Because remember, it's not just about marriage. The issue is idolatry. And idolatry can slip in in all areas of our life. And we should be a people that are committed to guard against idolatry wherever that comes in. 1 Corinthians teaches us this. 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 14. So then, my dear friends, flee from idolatry. How do you guard against idolatry? You run from it. You flee from it. You do whatever it takes to not allow any affection for any other thing in this world to come between you and the worship of your God. Verse 
That could be politics. That could be money. That could be countless other things. Individuals are tempted into idolatry, having affections more for things of this world than for God, but churches do as well. Calvin says our hearts are perpetual idol factories. Because we're sinners, we are constantly putting things in front of God, caring more about things of this world than God. And if we're going to be a community that's committed to God, that's going to require that we guard against idolatry. We have to flee from it. We have to put things in place that say, one, as individuals, two, as a church, we are not going to let these worldly things get in the way or come in front of the worship of the Lord. We have to have some self-awareness of where do our affections lie. Because the world is constantly giving things to put for us to put our affections in, to, to have our hearts chase after. And we need to be aware of that and put things in place to guard against idolatry. Third, a community committed to God trust in the Lord's provision. A community committed to God trust in the Lord's provision. Back in Nehemiah 10, verse 31. When the surrounding peoples bring merchandise or any kind of grain to sell on the Sabbath day, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or a holy day. We will also leave the land uncultivated in the seventh year, and we will cancel every debt. Three different things listed here. The Sabbath... Leaving the land, a sabbatical year, leaving the land unworked for a year, and then the year of Jubilee. All of these ideas, canceling debt, resting on the day that the Lord said to rest, letting the land rest for the year that the Lord said to let it rest, each of these things call for God's people to trust His ways over the ways of the world, And to trust his provision for the people in that. Trust that he's going to provide for their needs. So God had instructed his people in the Old Testament to rest on the seventh day and not do any work on that day. And that was a way for them to, to one, rest, but two, show that we trust God's going to take care of us. The rest of the world may go out and work on this day, but we're going to trust the Lord is going to provide for our needs today if we don't work. Every seventh year, they were instructed, don't work the land. Don't, don't work the crops. Don't, don't plant and plan on harvesting crops in this year. That's trusting the Lord for an agricultural society who lived through working the fields, working the land, they were having to trust the Lord. We're going to let the land rest. And we're going to trust that the Lord is going to provide for us everything we need during this year where we are not cultivating the land. The, the year of Jubilee and canceling of debts and, and releasing lands back to landowners, all of that was trusting. I'm going to trust the Lord. This person may owe me this much money. I'm going to trust the Lord with this. 
I'm going to trust him to still provide and care for me and I'll have everything that I need. And this is a way that God is caring for them as well. So the people of God have to decide, are we going to commit to the Lord's ways? Because this isn't the way the the world works. Are we going to commit to the Lord's ways and are we going to trust him for his provision? And the, tr- the church has to trust the Lord's ways. And the church has to trust the Lord's provision. Francis Schaeffer, uh, in one of his sermons called The Lord's Work in the Lord's Way, writes this. The key question is this. As we work for God in this fallen world, what are we trusting in? As we work for God in this fallen world, what are we trusting in? To trust in particular methods is to copy the world and to remove ourselves from the tremendous promise that we have something different. The power of the Holy Spirit rather than the power of human technique. We have to trust the Lord's ways. And trust the Lord to provide for us. Now churches can, can and do get so distracted on the worldly idea of success. Right? It, it often happens in numbers. How many do we have today? How many guests came? And we should care about who's here. And we do want a thriving, healthy church. But we can get so distracted by those things that we start chasing after them with worldly methods. There are lots of ways you can grow a church. But the question for us is, is this the Lord's way? So as we're desiring to reach the community... Are we doing it in the Lord's way and are we trusting his provision? And so Dogwood, as we think about the future and what the Lord has for us, let's do things and be committed as a body to do things in the Lord's way and trust God to provide for everything as he sees fit. Lastly, we have this, a community committed to God financially supports the Lord's work. A community committed to God financially supports the Lord's work. Nehemiah 10, verse 34 through 39. All of these verses address the kind of same thing of giving to the Lord. 32, we will impose the following commands on ourselves to give an eighth of an ounce of silver yearly for the service of the house of our God. The bread displayed before the Lord, the daily grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbath and new moon offerings, the appointed festivals, the holy things, the sin offerings to atone for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. We have cast lots among the priests, Levites and people for the donation of wood by our ancestral families. At the appointed times each year, they are to bring the wood to our God's house and to burn it on the altar of the Lord our God, as it is written in the law. We will bring the first fruits of our land and of every fruit tree to the Lord's house year by year. We will also bring the firstborn of our sons and our livestock as prescribed by the law, and will bring the firstborn of our herds and flocks to the house of our God, to the priest who serve in God's house. 
We will bring a loaf of our first batch of dough to the priest at the storerooms of the house of our God. We will also bring the first fruits of our grain offerings of every fruit tree and every new wine and of the new wine and the fresh oil, a tenth of our land's produce to the Levites, belongs to the Levites, for the Levites are to collect one-tenth offering in all our agricultural towns. A priest from Aaron's descendants is to accompany the Levites when they collect the tenth, and the Levites are to take a tenth of this offering to the storerooms of the treasury of the house of our God. For the Israelites and the Levites are to bring the contributions of grain, new wine, and fresh oil to the storerooms where the articles of the sanctuary are kept and where the priests who minister are along with the gatekeepers and singers. We will not neglect the house of our God. So to give money and offerings to the house of the Lord. They're to give offerings for the house of the Lord, give wood to God's house for the burning of sacrifices, give the first fruits to the house of God, give the firstborn to the house of God, give tithes to the Levites for the work of the Lord, fill the storerooms of the Lord's house and the treasury of the Lord's house. All of these are financial commitments. And they are all financial commitments so that the work of the Lord can continue. We're going to give these things that God has called us to do. We're going to give these things so that the work of the Lord will not stop. Now, we talked about this in Nehemiah 7. And I know you may be thinking, man, he's talking about money again. We talked about this in Nehemiah 7. And we talked about how the New Testament does command the church, instructs the church to give generously for the work of the Lord. To give sacrificially for the work of the Lord. And that giving is a way to participate in gospel mission. That giving is a way to ensure more people are going to hear of the good news of Jesus Christ. More people are going to be able to continue to grow and mature because we are not going to neglect the work that the Lord has for us. We will make sure that it can go on. When we give, it should be joyful. When we give, it truly is a way to to participate in the work that God has for His church. We make sure that the ministry is funded and that there won't be anything financially that can hinder the advancement of the gospel in the work that God has for us. So, I asked you at the beginning of Nehemiah, I asked you when we got to Nehemiah 7, to be praying about what is God calling you or you and your family to, to do concerning giving. And I think this is with seeing here this vow. And so much of the vow is saying the people are committed to supporting the ministry. I think it's important to ask again. Pray about what the Lord is calling you to do concerning financial support of the ministry of the Lord. And if you've been praying and the Lord has been putting on your heart what that looks like, would you be obedient to that? 
Would you give the way that the Lord is calling you to give? If you haven't been praying about that, would you pray now about what the Lord is calling you to do? And let's, as a church, be committed to saying, we're going to give generously and sacrificially to support the ministry of the Lord. Right? And I, and I confess to you, that's, that's hard to do with our finances, that's, we, I think, but, but I need this. I want this. Why can't I have this? And this is an opportunity to say, hey, we want to make sure that the work will continue here. We're going to make sure that it is, is taken care of. So, let's commit to that and let's be obedient to what the Lord is calling us to. Because a community committed to God financially supports the Lord's work. Remember, in all of these, this should never be a checklist of things to do. Okay, well, I did this and I did this. All of these are commitments that they are making not to earn anything from God. It's in response to what God has done for them, right? They, they spent all of Nehemiah 9 was an accounting of You were this to us. You were faithful here. You rescued us here. You provided for us here. You did all of these miraculous things for us over and over and over again. And so in response to God's faithfulness, it was a commitment now. God, we are going to be faithful to you. And so please don't let's not turn this into a checklist of things. But let's think about the faithfulness of God to us as individuals and the faithfulness of God to Dogwood Church. And let's be committed to the Lord. He has brought us into the light, out of darkness into light. He he has saved us by the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He's placed his spirit in us. And so because God has been so faithful to us, let's recommit again to what it is the Lord is calling us to do. And that looks like a commitment to obedience. It looks like a commitment to guarding against idolatry where our hearts so often run after other things. That's being committed to trusting in the Lord and trusting his provision and financially supporting the work that he has for us. God is working in us, Dogwood, for those purposes. So let's be faithful to the one who has always been faithful to us. Let's pray. Lord, you are so good. And we too, just like uh, the Israelites in Nehemiah's day and, and all of your people throughout history, we too chase after other things. We have been unfaithful at times to you. And so we um, want to commit again to the work that you have for us. We want to be committed to you. And would you keep working in us, keep being faithful to us, keep shaping us into the people that you want us to be. Use us for your glory, God. In Jesus' name, amen.